Welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast, where we dive in deep to all things business, wellness, creativity, and activism for artists and entrepreneurs. We talk with impactful, female-driven companies and founders for an inside look at the entrepreneurial experience, where you'll come away with tangible steps to elevate your business. Are you ready? I'm your host, Phoebe Sherman, founder of Girl Gang Craft, artist and designer and marketing obsessed. We're here to learn together how to expand our revenue, implement new organizational techniques, and cultivate best business practices as we work towards creating a life doing what we love. Let's get started. Level up enrollment is open. So excited for this offering. Level Up Academy is our six-week course on growing and scaling a creative business taught by me. We cover finding your audience and telling your story, tools for organization and cultivating mindset, curating your brand, Instagram strategy, promotions and launching, showing up through video and live events. Learn in a creative cohort of business owners. So this is a program for anyone who has a creative business. Both product-based and service-based businesses are welcome. This program is for you if you are a small business owner ready to scale but not sure what steps to take. You feel a bit lost and want to learn about social media, content creation, email marketing, brand partnerships, e-commerce, wholesale marketing, launching. You're feeling isolated and don't know where to turn for support. You're unsure about tech that could optimize your business. Sure that your product or service is amazing but not sure how to scale. Wanting to grow your business digitally. We meet weekly on Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Of course, every class is recorded for you to rewatch or watch if you missed it. You get access to our Facebook group with both current level uppers and those who have graduated. Office hours are with me and mentors. Plus, you have the opportunity to add on coaching with me at just $100 an hour. So generally, I charge $250 an hour. The first 10 to sign up get a deep discount. So you get all six weeks for $220. After that, price goes up to $277. Scholarship applications are open at bit.ly slash level up scholarship, all lowercase. Enrollment closes March 31st at midnight. I really hope to see you in class. You can sign up at girlgangcraft.com slash level up. Hello, creatives. Welcome to Girl Gang Craft, the podcast. Super excited today. We have Casey Zabala on the podcast. She's an artist, a tarot reader, practicing witch, intuitive mystic, and the founder of Modern Witches Confluence. She is author and illustrator of both Wanderer's Tarot, a feminist tarot deck for modern witches, and Weird Sisters Oracle, an oracle deck for connecting with one's personal magic. With 18 years of tarot experience, Casey believes that divination is a tool for personal empowerment and healing and hopes to empower others on their path of self-discovery. Casey teaches mystical workshops which center on tarot and divination and also include crystal healing, magical self-care, and principles of manifestation. Casey aims to guide individuals through personal transformation with creativity and magic by teaching ancient tools to modern seekers while creating community along the way. Super excited to have Casey. I've been to the Witches Confluence all three times. And so it's been a pleasure to not only bask in the light of other witches, but also to see the witches confluence flourish and grow. I think the first year I attended and then the other, the second year I was a vendor and sort of like snuck into some of the workshops while I had someone (laughs) working the Grog and Craft booth for us. And of course the third year was online and I attended right from my from my bedroom. So <laughs> anyways, welcome to the podcast, Casey. Oh, it's so exciting to be here. 
And just, it's so lovely that you've been able to kind of be a part of the Witches Confluence community through our whole existence. So the whole existence. I love that. It's so fun to just watch all these amazing communities grow and like witness that. It's, it's beautiful. Totally. Likewise with Girl Gang Craft and being able to attend and vend at your events has been so amazing. So there's a lot of crossover between our two communities. So super excited to have Casey here and to talk about a little bit more witchy things rather well we're going to talk about small business stuff today as well but we're going to talk about some witchy things too so and we'll just hop right into it so yeah so how did you get started with tarot yeah so i guess you could call tarot sort of like my gateway practice to a lot of more of my witchcraft and magical practices and i was given a deck when i was 13 by a friend of my mom's And it really just opened up this whole world for me as like a shy, weirdo, puberty person and like really navigating all of my overwhelming feelings. And this deck of cards just like totally spoke directly to my experience in a way that no one else had and nothing else had before. So it was a really- Which deck did you start with? It was the Aquarian Tarot. Mm -hmm. And from there, I would like, I just started collecting decks, became totally obsessed and nerding out, giving readings to my friends and scaring them. <laughs> it was a big part of my like teenage navigation. And what made you stick to it? I mean, I think some people sort of get cards and they come in and out of things. So what made you keep on that journey? That's a great question. I feel like I've always really needed, as, a, as an introvert, a true introvert, I've always really needed these spaces to recharge and the tarot became such a potent tool for that, along with like my journaling practice. And so I really, as I was learning and going through a lot all throughout my life, it's just always kind of been a consistent tool for me. I'm really grateful for that. And did you like start identifying as a witch sort of soon after? Is that sort of something you stepped into power later? I think more and more it became clear to me what witchcraft was during those years, but I definitely identified as a witch, like when I was a kid, like it it was something that I just like felt like I knew I was. And growing up in the nineties, like with charmed and the craft, I was just like, yep, that's, that's who I am. Like that, that kind of like archetype of someone who is strange, but powerful and intuitive that all really resonated with me. And, you know, as I started deepening my tarot practice and learning more about divination more broadly, I definitely started learning more about different paths of witchcraft and magic and figuring out what I liked and what I didn't like about those things. Has tarot sort of remained your primary practice with witchcraft or are there sort of other things that you've been exploring that have popped up or that you've stayed with other practices? Yeah, I guess around the same time that I guess it was like a a spiritual psychic awakening that I had around the age 13. I also found crystals and I was like, similarly, I hadn't really thought about this, but I was also gifted a crystal, which I still have at like a peddler's fair that I went to. I was like, so drawn into this stone and the vendor was like, oh, it's $20. And I was like, I I don't have $20 to spend on the stone. And the person saw my like dismay and I was walking away and they were like, no, you can have it. And it was this really beautiful moment. And I still have the stone. It's a quartz 
crystal. And now it's definitely one of my major practices. And that led me to kind of like energy work, trance healing. And there's a lot of other, you know, sort of, what would you call them? I'm hesitant to use the word shamanic because it is kind of specific to intuitive or not intuitive, sorry, a native practice. But you could say it's more like trance work, other world workings, working with spirits, that kind of thing. That might feel pretty woo for a lot of people, but (laughs) that's where I'm at today. And I'm still exploring, which is the thing I love about witchcraft in general. It's, It's really just like a process and building your own practice is central to it. I know I have a bunch of questions about the witches' confluence next, but I'm like really personally curious about all of these, just like sort of stepping into your power as a witch, because like I feel like the term witch is sort of, I think it's a new and old thing for me. Like when I was little, definitely sort of same vibe. Well, I think like fairy culture and witch culture when when we're little is very appealing, at least, you know, for me yeah. and you know, of course, Harry Potter. I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Mm-hmm. But sort of like reclaiming this power recently, I think has been really empowering for me. And uh, it's just interesting because there's still it's almost like imposter syndrome too with small businesses too. It's like, can I really call myself a witch? Like, what does that mean? And I think just like embracing that, the uncertainty around it can be really nice also. And I don't know. Any any thoughts about this this general identification of as a witch? Yeah, I think so many things. I mean, for one, I think, you know, stepping into reclaiming the witch is also kind of stepping into reclaiming of a worldview where like magic is real and magic being this sort of like connecting principle and noticing synchronicity in the world and noticing how things are connected. And not feeling separate from the world, like feeling really like you're a part of something, which I think is one of the really beautiful things about this reclaiming of witchcraft that's happening. And I also think, you know, there's such a rich history of witchcraft that's related to prosecution and oppression. And that is super important to acknowledge in if for anyone who's considering themselves a witch or working with that idea and that archetype. And thinking about the ways that we all can strive to fight against that oppression and connect with that story, especially for women, for people of color. I think that it is, it's a spirituality that lets us be in charge and lets us like create our own narrative, which is not the predominant paradigm of the patriarchy or capitalism or, you know, the Abrahamic religions more broadly. So I think it does provide us with a lot of power and freedom. And it's that's empowering, right? To like kind of craft your own experience of magic and yourself and your own power. And I do think that it relates to business in this really interesting way as an empowering tool, like feeling like you can be in charge, like taking that agency which is really hard to do for a lot of us. Yeah, I think you said a couple things there, and I'm going to get out my pen. <laughs> you mentioned, okay, you mentioned something about business, which I would love to touch back on. But I think this interesting, 
I think there's like this community element that I think has been so powerful with some of this, just everything that's happening in the U.S. and Mm -hmm. in pandemic times and as social justice, as people who are interested in social justice, I think it's a really beautiful, I think it's just all so interconnected and I think like having that label as a witch too can be sort of empowering to connect you with that community of people who are interested in change, really. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think a central part of how I've understood witchcraft is that it's a practice that's really about personal growth and personal growth that involves like claiming all the parts of yourself rather than like shunning an aspect of yourself or repressing an aspect of yourself. It's like, let's bring it all to the table. Let's embrace all of it. And I think that work is so much richer when you can do it in community and kind of like see other people's process and hear other people's stories and support one another in that work because it's not easy. Yeah. Circling back a little bit to how you mentioned crafting like crafting your own practice. And I think that's really interesting also. And I'd like to touch on that a little bit more. My background is in yoga. So for me, when I sort of joined this, I'm going to say mindfulness, but I'm going to say that there's more than the mindfulness practice. And that's what I think sort of was the entryway to witchcraft for me, at least in my adult self rather than my, my young self. But I think, yeah, I think it's so important to figure out what sort of practices work for you. And, you know, there's obviously that appropriation thread in all of that too, borrowing practices from other cultures that may not be your own. And I think it's actually, you know, a really heated discussion right now, especially in the circles that we exist in, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not supposed to use sage, Palo Santo, all of these things. and so. Yeah, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Let's dive into appropriation a little bit. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, what I think is interesting about witchcraft specifically, like the term witchcraft, the term witch, it is kind of like a, it's a European word, the root being, some say the root is Wicca, Wiki, Witcha. And so what that is, is a label that was given to a group of people who were practicing like pagan spirituality. And that label was given to them by the church, the patriarchy, to demonize them. (laughs) But at the root of that, what it's talking about is like folk magic and folk traditions that are part of a European ancestral lineage. And that has, you know, that can be anywhere in what you would call Europe. But this idea of like a pagan spiritual practice that is rooted in folk magic or ancestral traditional practices is everywhere. And so I really do believe that when you practice witchcraft, it's central to have some kind of understanding of your ancestral lineage and try to work that into whatever it is you're practicing. And I think that when we do that, we sort of also participate in ancestral healing in some ways, either reclaiming things that were deemed you know, demonic or whatever it might be, and honoring those practices, honoring those spirits who might have not been fed for a long time. So that's an element of it that I always try to talk about when I talk about witchcraft, because I think 
it is very easy in like white new age culture to look for things that maybe spark something deeper within us, which is like this loss, the loss or the erasure of our folk ways. So, you know, when you're thinking about not using sage and the reasons why we don't use sage, because it's not from a European cultural place and because it's being over-harvested, there are so many other beautiful practices out there around burning herbs and like what herbs you would burn for what purposes. And so, you know, with appropriation, you know, it's easy to, to not know that you're appropriating someone, uh, something, but it's also important to acknowledge that, you know, if you realize you're appropriating something, acknowledging that potential harm that's been done, but also like realizing that you can open yourself up to so much more, so much more that you can experience and express that's maybe going to feel better in the long run. It's, yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's a hard topic. I think there are a lot of people who really, you know, connect with like Buddhist philosophy, for instance. And I think there's beautiful things that we can take and not take necessarily, but, you know, incorporate into our lives, but doing so with the knowledge of like that lineage's history and where it's come from is important. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the witch's confluence then. What is it? And what is the origin story? Sure. So the witch's confluence all began as this really desire to create community spaces for witches in the Bay Area specifically, since that is where I'm from. And that's where I have been living for a long time. And I've been going to kind of magic conferences and tarot conferences in the Pacific Northwest for a long time and realized that, you know, there are so many magical, incredible people in the Bay Area and that it would be so great if we could do something similar and gather community in a similar way and learn from each other. Just seeing this beautiful kind of expression and blossoming of all these witches online and seeing how much information and beauty there is out there to share, it felt really important to kind of bring together people who have been practicing for a long time or great teachers and to kind of share their wisdom in a way that could really be honored and respected. And so we had our initial event in 2018 in Golden Gate Park, super magical. We also had a craft fair element to the Witches Confluence, which was really important to me to kind of honor business witches as well and to provide a space for witchy makers to connect and to share their wares. And it was kind of like the metaphysical shop of your dreams (laughs) in my mind, having all these like beautiful makers come together and you can get all your magical tools and so fun. That's kind of one of my favorite aspects of our in-person events is the marketplace for sure. So, so what's happened since then? Well, yeah, tell us, give us a little bit more of the magic of the first witch's confluence. Yeah. So Set the stage. Yeah, we were, we met in Golden Gate Park. Our confluence always takes place around Halloween or Samhain. And we had nine teachers in these beautiful big rooms, which is running all around, taking these workshops and you know, we had Starhawk as our keynote, which was really special to me as someone who 
has grown up in the Bay, grown up with the Reclaiming Collective as well as a beautiful resource and teaching environment. So it was just like this really beautiful beacon of hope. And, you know, 2018, we had the whole Trump situation well underway. And it was really the first time I felt hopeful in a long time, like gathering with that group of people and being able to circle and sing together and set some intentions. So it was really beautiful. And while it was so much work (laughs) after that first one, it really was like, okay, this needs to continue because of that, just like feeling how good it was to be together. Mm, In-person events. (laughs) (laughs) So, so what's happened since then? How has the confluence grown? Yeah. So we did two in-person events and then in 2020, we obviously had to shift gears and we decided to put our event on virtually. You know, we didn't know. I think we made the decision to pivot to virtual fairly early on. I think because of advice from astrologers I was getting that they basically said, this is going to go for a while, everyone buckle up. And so we made that decision. But we also, we ran a, like a smaller spring equinox retreat. We had to pivot a retreat to online that we had already like sold tickets to and everything. And it went surprisingly well. And we were, you know, we'd never done anything like that before. We were so shocked. And we realized like, okay, this could work if we really put our intention behind it. So now we are running virtual events, which has its own set of challenges. But it's been really beautiful to see how this community can grow based on the accessibility of online spaces, you know, and also in 2020, we really realized that we needed to be more upfront about our stance about being an anti-racist community, which has always been a big tenant for us. And we've always tried our best to be accessible and have scholarships available to attend our events, free tickets, as well as low-cost scholarships. But we noticed that people weren't seeing that aspect of what we were doing. They weren't applying to the, you know, we would have 20 free tickets available and we'd get like 15 applications. And so we realized there was an issue there. And so being a white woman running this organization, it really made sense to make some changes. And really that was the impetus for starting our diversity inclusion committee, which has become such a central part of our organization. And I'm really grateful for that. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So our diversity inclusion committee is a group of witches, some of whom have been with our community since the beginning as well. A majority person of color committee that assists us in making sure that we're taking the right steps to be truly inclusive and be truly accessible and anti-racist. And so this committee meets quarterly to kind of help out with programming as well as just kind of like assessing how the modern witches confluence is doing in terms of the work of, you know, providing anti-racist spaces and also within the spiritual community, which can tend towards appropriation. So that's a big, a big part of our mission is to be an anti-appropriative space as well. And how has that been received by your teacher community and by your attendee community? It's been, I mean, overall, it's been received so beautifully. 
And I think it's such an interesting opportunity for learning, both for our attendees, for myself, and for our teachers. When you apply to teach a workshop with us, we require that you share kind of like your lineage or your spiritual teaching lineage and really asking everyone who is involved in our organization to show us that they are reflecting on that aspect of their lives and themselves and can honor their teachers and knows the history of the lineage which they're teaching from. And even down to our, our sponsors as well, which is a very tricky thing to do, but really make sure we're working with sponsors who have integrity in that work too. Cool. I love all that. How big is your team right now? So our organizing committee is six people. And the diversity inclusion committee is also six people, I believe. We're at a very interesting point right now where we're really trying to grow to a place that's like more sustainable for everyone. At the beginning of the Witches Confluence, it was very much like, who are my friends who can help me with this thing? And as we grow and as there becomes more responsibility, it's really about like finding ways to sustainably support everyone who's supporting us. So that's our real focus this year. And our membership site that we just launched is really an effort to sustain that. Awesome. So we'll return to the member site in a, in a little bit, but I am sort of curious about how it's, how is the organization structures going for you as the founder of which is Confluence. I don't know if that's actually how you identify. So I'm going to, I'll take that back and like, <laughs> and let you talk about that. But yeah, I mean, how does it feel managing a team? What is this growth like? Tell me more about that. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I would say, especially, you know, as someone who runs my own business and has like grown this business to include so many more people it's always hard for me personally to know how to delegate and like get things out of my brain. Cause they're, you know, as a small business owner, you're constantly juggling like a thousand things. And as we grow, it's like, okay, let's, how can I like let go of some of this and really allow someone to run with it? And it's been such an interesting process. I mean, everyone who works on the organizing committee is amazing. And we also, just really like each other. So we have a lot of work meetings. And then we also have our own like coven meetings where we're just kind of together and supporting one another. And I think that's sort of the magic we have going for us right now. But yeah, it's it's such an interesting pivot point. I think it's it's a case of really having to constantly check in and constantly over communicate and be really honest about like, for me, the emotional experience of this as well. So that's been an important process for me. Is there a specific challenge that you have about growing a team or growing pains right now? Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the challenge is, is really about like letting go and just like allowing things to grow organically. It's, it sort of reminds me of when, I self-published Wanderer's Tarot and it was like, oh, this is its own thing in the world. And it's like doing things and I don't have to necessarily be there every step of the way for this thing. And I think that's kind of where we are with the confluence as well. It's, 
it's something that I started, but it's also so much a co-creation with so many people and really just allowing myself to be flexible with how it wants to grow feels really important. Yeah, that's beautiful and also difficult. (laughs) Very difficult. (laughs) The letting go is so hard when there's just the demands of the community, demands of like social media, Mm -hmm. all of this like constant creation is can be exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) also tired all the time for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about, you have like an, a rebrand going on. I popped onto your website. I've gotten some of your emails. Tell me about the rebrand and tell me what's, what's happening. Yes. Yeah. I'm super excited about how everything is looking and feeling. It feels so in alignment with where we're headed. I've been working so hard with our designer, Sarah, who I will shout out as assisted creative. They're amazing. And it's it's really this effort to bring people in to what we're doing in a grander way. So rather than just hosting one event near Samhain, we're doing more events throughout the year. We're doing a major spring convergence event on May 1st time. So around Beltane, May Day, that's all going to be about pleasure magic, which I'm super excited about. And our membership series, our membership opportunity is really about joining and either paying annually or monthly and like getting complete access. So if you know you're going to attend the Confluence, if you want to attend the Spring Convergence, our membership is like a really good deal because you get tickets to both and you get tickets to our Wheel of the Year series. So you're getting a lot of opportunity to join our circles and learn from teachers and really just experience community with witches and with magical people. And it's like a space to explore that part of yourself and explore that part of your life. And I'm just super excited to see how all of that unfolds. So we just birthed a membership too. So how, how does it feel just to have it, how to have it open and like out there in the world for everyone? It's scary. It's like, I, we just released it a couple days ago. So it's really that newness of like, okay, is this making sense to everyone? But it feels super good. I feel relieved. You know, so much thought goes into building that a, a membership, as you know. So it was really important to us to make sure we were building in our reparative memberships and our really accessible memberships to folks. So it's just exciting to see people joining and we're going to have a spring equinox event for our members coming up, which would be a really great way to initiate the whole cycle. Amazing. Uh, so are you, are you done with, cause you were on Patreon before, right? So are you yes. done with Patreon? We are done with Patreon. I think, I think we were doing a $5 membership tier just to kind of, we started at the, the beginning of the pandemic as kind of a way to sustain us through this time. And I don't know, I love Patreon and I don't love Patreon at the same time. I don't know if you've ever, have you used Patreon for your community? Yeah. It's interesting. I think that while it can provide some great access, I've noticed that it also, there's like tricky loopholes that people can go through and sort of like join and get some content and then unjoin and join again and like never pay, things like that, which is just not, doesn't feel good. So happy to be bringing this onto our own site where 
folks can like really understand what they're committing to. So do you guys have sort of like a portal on the site then as well? Yeah. So we're using Squarespace member areas. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So exciting. Congrats. Totally. Great. We can compare notes six months from now. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. I'm curious to see how it all goes. So, okay. So you're still doing readings for people as well. Tell me a little bit about how you're balancing both businesses and what your day-to-day looks like. Yeah, definitely. So I would say I am someone who really loves routine and it's always been super helpful to me. So I sort of have days when I am doing my Wanderer's Tarot and offering readings and then days when I am like focused on the witch's confluence. And so that's kind of like my regular schedule that I've mapped out for myself. Yeah. And I don't know. I think I sort of, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because it's lately been difficult, like to find the balance, especially with launching something. And I'm just noticing how important it is to be in tune with my own cycles and noticing when I can I have that energy and when I need to rest. And that's been a really helpful sort of device for me to kind of like be kinder to myself in those moments when I need to be. But generally speaking, you know, I have sort of, I'm kind of like on this path of limiting my reading scope to doing reading readings only along the wheel of the year. So I'm doing readings for the spring equinox and then I'll do them for the summer solstice and I'll open my books at those kind of high points in the season and those shifting points in the season where we're all transitioning in some way. And I'm really excited to start that cycle for myself and for my clients as well, because I think it can be important to kind of touch base at those moments when things are changing seasonally and also within ourselves. So that'll be an interesting shift for me. Do you use your own deck when you read for clients? I do. I do. It's interesting. I usually use my own deck and then a few other Oracle decks. And I keep thinking like, oh, will I get tired of using my deck? I'm just kind of waiting until something else shifts. But in my own reading practice for myself, I use a lot of different decks. But this has been the one that's been really consistent for client work. Yeah. So... I just feel like you have such a grounded energy. So I'm just trying to, what sort of grounded advice can you give for all of us? I mean, because you're doing so many things and I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> I really feel you. So what are you doing to stay connected, to stay grounded, you know, to make sure that you are getting these things done, that you are promising other humans, mm-hmm. things that you promised yourself? How do you manage that on the day-to-day, you know, especially during this pandemic time and as we maybe move forward into less pandemic times? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think that I'm definitely a person that takes on a lot. And that's like part of my, my thing. If you saw my chart, you would understand perhaps for you astrology folks out there. But I also have a Taurus rising. Do you want to share your signs? Do you want to share (laughs) a couple signs with us? (laughs) Yeah, I'm a Taurus rising. So that's where you get my grounded energy from Leo sun and Aquarius moon. So I think to stay grounding is one of my daily practices. A lot of people meditate. I ground every morning. And that grounding consists of a visualization I do where I connect my energy into the ground as if I'm growing roots down from my body. And I also do a lot of like movement meditation as well to connect with my guides. And journaling is my big thing. 
Like I feel like writing has always been a big part of my spiritual practice, automatic writing and just like journaling. So that's always a grounding thing. And I know that when I'm not doing those things, at least one of them, I notice the shift in my day and in my capacity. So it's something that, you know, I slip off and I don't do it for a few days and I have to kind of reorient because we're humans, but those practices and those routines are super central for the grounding. I also just, I think I'm a big moon follower too. So the moon really drives like my work schedule in a big way. So like making sure that when I am building up to something, it is during the waxing moon cycle and something can be revealed on the full moon or near the full moon. And then in the waning moon cycle, it's like tying up loose ends or releasing things, finalizing things. So that to me is like a super helpful grounding way for me to organize my life and my time. And yeah, so you were talking earlier about this like witchiness with business. I'm going to use the word manifestation. So tell us a little bit more. Let's tap into that a little bit more. I find it really... I like to tie in, like, I think of my business as both my creative practice and sort of my magic practice all in one. So I love that you touched on that. Do you want to go into it a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I think there's so many ways. I love doing spells. That's a big part of my magical practice and as a witch. And there's so many ways to do that. But essentially, a spell is like a symbolic manifestation of your intention. So when you're thinking about working magically with your business and thinking about it as like an energy or as an entity, sometimes it could be helpful to like attach a symbol, like maybe it's your logo even to the work you're doing and making that sort of like sacred and protecting it. So things I've done in the past are like making an altar to my business And, you know, when I look at my altar to my business, I can see the areas where I want to grow or the things I'm trying to call in. And it's like a, it's like a beautiful space for me to connect with the higher ideals of what I'm doing. And that can be really helpful in moments when you're in it and doing kind of the real boring or frustrating or whatever it is, tasks that sort of need to be done. And you can sort of reconnect with like that ideal vision that you're working towards. And I also think, you know, for me personally, my work feels very central to who I am. And that's just kind of part of my path at this point. I don't think it will always be that way. But for now, it feels so important to be working in community with witches. And that's something that continues to drive me and continues to inspire me. And so I think making sure that whatever your business is, is something that really does fuel like a passion place in you. That's magic, really. Beautiful. And what advice do you have for witches who want to create a business with their magic? Maybe some getting started tips. Yeah, that's a great question. I would say really getting clear about what your magic is and the type of magic you want to share getting really precise about that. I think that's advice for business witches and also advice for people who are like, I want to be a witch, but what does that mean? 
you know, think about what excites you in the world and the work you want to do in the world and the work you want to do in yourself. And those things are likely connected and will definitely help any person who's trying to hone in on sharing their craft. Because I think that specificity in a spell or in business is really central. Yeah. Yep. 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 Well, okay. Thank you so much, Casey, for joining us. It's been so lovely talking to you. Do you want to let the listeners know where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. It's been so lovely to chat. You can find me at Wanderers Tarot on Instagram or at Witches Confluence. And yeah, I hope you all check out modernwitches.org and see all of our upcoming events. It's going to be really fun to connect. And all that info will be on our show notes as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Casey. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Phoebe. It's been so fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast. Head to girlgangcraft.com slash podcast for show notes and more. See you next time.